Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Luke 23, we're going to jump in this morning. We're, uh, last week, I didn't get to this message. We ended up going a different path, and uh, I've heard a lot, of, a lot of great testimonies and breakthrough that happened uh, last week during service, just by the, you know, that, the word of the Lord, and last week, and all that was stirring and happening. If you, if you missed it, you need to listen to the podcast. I, I'll tell you, it wasn't anything profound. So if you, if you tune into the podcast and expect some profound exegesical message uh, from Pastor you know, last week, you won't find it. But, uh, but it was a profound Holy Ghost day. And uh, I hope that as you listen to that, the, the words from the sermon will leap off of the recording and touch you. And uh, we had a we had a great week, so we'll pick up where we left off last week, I guess you could say, in the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross in our Easter series. But Luke twenty three, verse thirty three, and and you know that song this morning, I I could sing that song. What's the name of that song? I, I forget. Reckless love. I could sing that song all day long. I just feel like, wow, uh, have you know just that. I don't know about you, but this, it was like, I it just forgot the world was here, I, you know, this morning. And that, that part that you gave your life for me. Uh, you, you gave your life for me. He didn't, nobody took his life. He willingly laid it down for you. I, I definitely didn't earn it. I definitely didn't deserve it. While I was yet an enemy, while I was still enemies of God, he gave himself willingly for me. And so we're going to capture that probably this morning a little bit here in Luke 23. And so in the context, in the light of what we worship, how we were worshiping this morning and what the Lord was doing, we'll just pick up here in the Word, and I think it just lines perfectly. It says, when they had come to the place called Calvary, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and, uh, and the other on the left, verse 34 of Luke 23, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. We've talked about that the first week in our series. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription. And it was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. And it said, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanging, uh, who were hanging there by him blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we've received due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last 
And verse 47 says, when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. I want to zero in today uh, on the on the saying of Jesus, here you have a thief. In verse 42, he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, second saying from the cross, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here we find Jesus hanging on the cross. It's not an accident that he's hanging between two thieves. It was predetermined by our sovereign God where Jesus would be hanging when he died. It was the who, the where, the when. Everything had been arranged by God. God and had been preordained, and here is Jesus hanging on the cross between two thieves. He was counted as a criminal. He was hung on a cross, the curse to be hung on a cross. Seven years, 700 years before this ever happened, Isaiah prophesied that Christ would be considered to be a criminal. The one who had written with his finger the stone tablets of the law on Mount Sinai was now the one hanging, being accused as a lawbreaker. It was God's promise. It was God's purpose. It was the intention of God that this would happen the way that it happened, when it happened. And today I want to take a look at that. Here Christ is condescended himself. He's the, the, the creator of the world. God has stepped out of his eternal reign and he has stepped into creation itself. He has humbled himself. He has become a king born in a pasture, born among the cattle, born among the sheep, worshiped by shepherds. He's now hanging as a criminal on a cross. He has humbled himself. He has emptied himself of all of his deity and he is now hanging on a cross for you and I. When you and I are the criminals. You and I are the ones who should be on that tree. You and I are the lawbreakers. You and I are the thieves. You and I are the transgressors of the law. And here is Christ, the blameless one, the perfect one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who has taken our punishment. We should be there. He was despised and rejected. He was the one led as a sheep among the the slaughter, and you and I should be the ones there. What a wonderful picture of God's sovereignty in this moment. Here, Christ was hanging between two thieves. Both of them were positioned to see Christ. Both of them were positioned to hear Christ. Both were in proximity to his presence. Both were wicked criminals. Both were guilty of what they were condemned for. Both of them were worthy of the judgment they received. Both of them were suffering. Both of them were dying. And both of them were urgently in need of forgiveness. And one of them responds to the, to the call of Christ. One does not. You know, it's not up to us whether we're to save people or not. It's not in our power and our ability to save people, but it is our job and our responsibility to proclaim the gospel. You had one thief whose heart was melted by the gospel and the other was hardened. One, the gospel was revealed. To the other, it was hidden. 
Christ demonstrates for you and I in this moment his power in evangelism. How shall they hear unless someone is sent? And, and how shall they hear unless there is someone proclaiming the gospel? You and I have been anointed of God to be proclaimers of the good news. There is someone around you that needs not only to see your life, but hear the hope to which you've been called. I'll say that again. There's someone around you that doesn't just need to see how you live. They need to hear to the hope that which you've been called. You know, you can, you can live a great life and you can be a great person. And, and believe me, I, I believe in the power of the lifestyle that we live. You can't, you can't proclaim a message that your life doesn't line up with. I, I fully understand that, fully get that. But you also can't just stand there and keep your mouth shut. Open up your mouth and begin to share the hope that you've been given. Here's Christ on the cross. And what is his sermon? It wasn't anything great. It wasn't some perplexed message or some exegetical study on, on the book of John. All Jesus said was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit began to do what the Holy Spirit does best. And he began to open up the eyes of this thief who was hanging on the cross. Demonstrates here this wonderful power of the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 said, It is not by works that you're saved, but it is a free gift. It is the grace of God that was extended to this thief. It is the grace of God that is extended to you and I. And by that grace, we are saved. Take a look at the man Saul, who later became Paul, and let's have a look at his life in comparison to the thief who was hanging on the cross. Both of them were murderers. Both of them, you had Paul, was, was, a, was out murdering Christians. He, was, he had been a religious man. He knew the law. He had not lived a life prior to that moment that was pleasing to God. Prior to his conversion, his life was not lived in a way that would have been pleasing to God. He was born again, and he began to live a life of proclaiming the gospel. The thief here is hanging. He was a hardened criminal, had not lived a life that was pleasing to God. And he gets born again, and there's nothing left to give. He was at the end of his life. He could not earn his salvation by, by performing works of righteousness after he got off that cross. Do you hear me? This was not something he could earn. This gift of salvation was extended to the criminal based on mere grace and the pleasure of God to extend it to him. He couldn't earn it. He couldn't do anything to live righteously after this. It was the pure pleasure of God. And in this moment, we see this wonderful work of the saving grace of God. He couldn't get off of the cross and do works of righteousness. He had a nail in his hand. He couldn't get off of the cross and walk in paths of righteousness. There was a nail in his foot. It wasn't a season where he could it began to turn over a new leaf in his life, as it were. He couldn't just get off of the cross. Oh, I'm going to do things differently now because I've encountered Jesus on the cross. No, there was no turning over a new leaf and living his best life now because he was dying. 
You and I are dying. You and I are hopeless and helpless without Christ. And he comes and extends to you and I this free grace that saves us and redeems us and transforms us. It would seem in this moment that Christ had lost all power. He couldn't save himself. He was in a place of disgrace. He was in a place of shame. His enemies were triumphing over him. Christ's friends had forsaken him. Public opinion was against him. He couldn't save himself, but yet in that moment he was able to save the sinner who cried out from a repentant heart. He was a curse hanging on a tree. He had become a stumbling block to the people that he had been sent to. And those who had believed in him were now doubting that he was even who he said he was. And there was no one standing at the foot of the cross saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But here we find the thief. We find the thief in the moment of the grace of God. The Holy Spirit has come and revealed to him his sin and his depravity. And in that moment, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And yet, the sinner is saved. There wasn't all of the inner workings that you and I think would have to be met. All the prerequisites and the religious ideas for this sinner to be. You know, we have a whole list of things that, that has to happen before someone gets saved, right? I mean, there's got to be the preaching of the word. There's got to be three fast songs and two slow songs and an offering. And then the pastor's got to give an altar call. And, and everybody who wants to get born again has got to come down to the altar and raise their hands and cry a little bit. And God help, if you don't cry, you haven't gotten born again because you really got to cry and cry out good you got to go through the tissues anybody know what I'm talking about none of it happened none of it happened but in that moment that simple prayer father forgive them they don't know what they do and the Holy Spirit begins to work you know this this sinner was saved by grace before any of the supernatural things happened even. This was before the hours of darkness. It was before Christ's tri triumphant cries on the cross. It was before Jesus said it, it was finished. It was before the temple veil was torn. It was before the earthquake. It was before the graves started opening up and dead people came out. It was before the rocks start, started breaking. It, was, it happened before the soldier confessed this was the Christ. It was all before that happened. The work of the Holy Spirit on the inner man. We see here the, the criminal, the sinner that was mocking Christ. This man who cried out, Father. This, this man who cried out and said, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just a few minutes before that. Just a few minutes before that. Matthew 27 captures what he's doing. In Matthew 27, verse 41, it says, Likewise, the chief priest also, mocking with the scribes and the elders, said, He saved himself, but himself he cannot save. If he is the king of, of Israel, let him now come down from that cross, and we'll believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the, the, the robbers, the thieves begin to cry out, it says. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him and said the same thing. So just a few moments before this man cries out, remember me. He's throwing insults at Jesus. He's a criminal. 
And yet the Holy Spirit in that moment begins to work in, in his heart and convict him and reveal the nature of who Christ is. There's a word here, and I'd like to capture it for us. It's called helplessness. This thief was absolutely helpless. He was at the end of himself. You and I are helpless without Christ. We have no ability to save ourselves. We have no ability to transform our lives. Everything that you and I accomplish in this life, everything that you and I do to walk out our Christian faith is because we have been empowered by God himself. Oh, do you not believe that? Uh, should I say that again? And, uh, and you need to go home and read your word. Everything that you and I do in this life is not by our works of righteousness. We do not earn it. When you get born again, the switch does not flip. And God say, now that you're born again, you're going to maintain your, re your relationship with me by your good works. Never says that. And yet we live that way. We, we try to work out. We, we take this verse about working out our salvation and, and think that means we have to earn something or work into something. And that's not at all what God tells us. Everything that you and I have in this life has been made available. You and I have to appropriate it. You and I have to begin to walk out in what God's given to you and I. We have to begin to walk by faith every step of the journey. Our, our relationship with God is continued by dependence upon Him, living a life of faith. Living a life of faith. You were born again by grace through faith, and it is that same saving faith that sustains you. That saving faith becomes your sustaining faith. The same faith that comes in and works righteousness in you in that moment of salvation is the same faith that you and I need to stay plugged in and engaged with heaven. We don't get born again and then turn off. We don't get born again and say, okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to earn my way into heaven. I'm going to stand before God and he's going to ask me all the great things that I did. And I'm going to have to give heaven my, my resume of good report of everything I did so that I can get in. No, friend, that's not how it works. Your works of righteousness are produced because you are dependent upon him and you live a life of faith. The works that God works in you, you are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works that were foreordained for you. You are God's poema. You, in the Greek word, you are God's masterpiece. He is working in you from glory to glory, from one degree to the next. He is working, Philippians says, both the will and the do for his good pleasure. So everything that you and I have is a result of the faith of God that's been deposited in us. And so we learn to cooperate with God. We begin to walk in what he's called us to. We begin to walk in his blessings. We're helpless without him. If man is slow to realize he is wicked and unfit for God's presence, he's even slower to realize he cannot do anything to obtain salvation or improve himself to be fit for God. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You know, a great example of this is the prodigal son. What happens with the prodigal? He asks for his inheritance. What does he do? 
Oh, give it, give it, give it, give it to me. I want all of it. And he goes out and he squanders all. Everybody say all. He spent it all, all of his wealth. He got rid of it all. And at some point, he wakes up, he comes to his senses, and realizes probably not much from conviction, but more of he's just out of money. Isn't that true that, that, that a lot of times it's, it's not even the, the Holy Spirit convicting us. It's just the Holy Spirit using the situation we're in. And we have that moment of, what have I gotten myself into? But we don't keep walking it out. We don't, what is our response? Same as the prodigal son. I got to go work. And he goes, sells himself into slavery. Try to work and earn. And all the while, the Holy Spirit's trying to get his attention. Hey, you're at the end of yourself. No, don't go. No, 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 don't go. Don't go. Don't go. Don't go sell yourself into slavery. You don't need to do that. Father's back at the house. He's waiting for you. He's back at, he's back at the house. He's waiting. And he sells himself into slavery, and that doesn't go so well. And he finally hits bottom. He finally realizes how helpless he is and returns home to his loving father. We don't have to try to work to fix ourselves. It's absolute dependence upon God. Isn't it good to know that one of the most powerful prayers that you and I can pray is, God, I can't fix myself. I need your help. God, I don't even, and I dare you to say this, God, I don't even want to change myself. God, I know that I'm, if I keep walking down this path, I'm spending all that I have. I'm spending all of my money trying to get down this path of pleasure and success and earthly fame and fortune, whatever it is. And I know that I'm just, I'm wasting it, but I don't even know how to do anything different. And I kind of don't want to do anything different. <gasps> Pastor, you said that? Yeah, absolutely. It's time you just get real with God. You're not going to shock Him. You can't hide from the one who knows everything. The question is, do you realize it? God, I don't really want to change. I don't really want to fix this. I know that this doesn't line up with your word. I know that the life I'm living in the pig slop is not what you've called me to. I know this life that, you, that I, I, I'm living in the, in the bondage and the slavery and the issues and the depression and the garbage. Whatever it is, fill in the gap. This isn't the life you've called me to live in, but I don't even know how to change and I'm not even sure I want to change. Can you do it? Can you just wrap me in your arms and tell me it's going to be okay? Can, you just, can I just run home and you tell me what I need to hear? Can you pick me up in daddy's arms and just love on me? You see, it's in that place of surrender that God begins to change you and transform you. Oh yeah, it's in that place where his love begins to penetrate the blackness of your heart and the depths of your soul and begins to cause all those issues to burp out and he begins to work on them one by one. Yeah, that thief on the cross didn't need him, didn't need anybody else to tell him how wretched he was. He knew how wretched he was. He was on a cross dying because of his sinfulness. He didn't need anyone else to come along and beat him up. He was hanging, crucified on a cross. What he needed was a place of repentance that came by the Holy Ghost and the Word of God that said, Today you will be with me in paradise. 
You see, when you begin to have the love of God embrace you, even in the place of your cross, it's in that place of death, it's laying yourself on the altar, it's, it's the Romans 12, that you'll offer yourself as a living sacrifice, and Jesus saying things like, take up your cross and follow me daily. It's in that place where you begin to die And you hear the words of Jesus in the place of your carnal death. Today you will be with me. All of a sudden the pleasure of the world to come outweighs the pleasure of this life. All of a sudden the the world of heaven and the, the pleasures of God and the enjoyment of his love begin to mean more to you than the things of this world. Why? Because you're a dead man. Your fleshly nature is dying on that, on that sacrifice. Your old self, who you were, your old identity, all the things that come. Does anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? All that, all that old junk that followed you and got you to the cross. All that old garbage that got you to the place of being on the cross is the place where you'll hear and experience the love of God like you've never heard, like you've never experienced. And the pleasures of this life begin to fade. They don't mean so much anymore when you're hanging on the cross. Having having earthly success doesn't mean so much when you're dying on the cross. Having, Having fame and fortune in this life don't mean so much when you're hanging on a cross. Having, having everybody like you doesn't mean so much when you're hanging on a cross. Does anybody hear me? When, when, when you're hanging on a cross, your perspective begins to change. And Christ comes in that moment, if you'll allow Him to, in your helpless estate, and He begins to tell you about His love. He begins to reveal to you His love. He begins to reveal to you the goodness of the world to come. He begins to talk to you about paradise. And all of a sudden, you get caught up in the heavenlies. All of a sudden, you get caught up in a a heavenly kingdom. All of a sudden, you get caught up in, in a heavenly world. All of a sudden, you get caught up in heavenly pleasures. And you don't need the pleasures of this life to sustain you. You don't operate by who likes you on Facebook and who doesn't like you on Facebook. Who done did you wrong and didn't do you wrong. And who who loved and who liked and who wished you a happy birthday. Good grief, get over it. Get on the cross. Get on the cross. Well, pastor didn't smile at me. No, I probably didn't. And I probably said something, you know, yeah, I'm sure I did. Get on the cross. You won't notice it. We have, we have a saying in leadership that if you have a complaint, that's great. Take it to the cross. If it survives the cross, then you can come tell us. Everything of value has to pass through the cross. Everything of value in your life needs to go through the cross test. If it can survive the cross, then I think it's pretty good. If it goes with you into glory, I think it's a pretty good thing to keep. If it dies, let it die. Let it go. <laughs> let me give you another example of this. I, we'll just see how... Oh. 
<laughs> they realized how we're at time we were. I'll just keep going. You don't care, do you? We'll go to three. We'll, we'll, we'll walk up to three o'clock and see how that goes. I'm just joking. The woman with the issue of blood, what does it say? She, she spent all that she had and only grew worse. She spent all she had and she only grew worse. Are you spending your life, your resources on things that are only making you grow worse? You know, it does, it, you know, we're not just talking about drugs and relationships here. You can, you can spend your life on, and your resources on a lot of, quote, good things. You can go buy them Oreos. You can stock your cabinet full of Oreos. It's getting quiet up in here. Somebody help me. <laughs> Got to get them Oreos. Y'all know where that's going. And you just sit on the couch, you eat those things all day. You're not helping yourself. They're good. They're real good. Dip them in milk, they're even better. <laughs> you can eat those Oreos all day long. I'm preaching about Oreos because I like Oreos. Don't anybody bring me Oreos. I like the Oreos. <laughs> They'll go in the food pantry. My wife will make them disappear in the food pantry and I'll never see them. So don't, don't even try. You can spend your life on things that don't help you. You can spend your life on things that aren't, aren't going to be things that are going to help you grow in the Lord and be changed and transformed and waste your money. Or you can come to Jesus and humble yourself before him. And just if, even if you can just grab hold, you don't even have to say anything. You don't even have to utter some eloquent discourse to Jesus to make him get your attention. You just got to grab hold. Remember me. It doesn't take much. You see, it's really, it's really what captured Jesus' attention in that moment. You, you got you to understand in that moment, he's got people hurling insults at him. Get off the cross, Jesus. You're really, you're really who you say you are. Come down. You got the thief on the other side. If you're really who you say you are, save us and yourself. We want to see you do. And Jesus never responds to any of them. He doesn't even acknowledge that they exist. But you get a thief on the cross who has a humble, contrite heart. God says he'll not despise. And in that moment, remember me. And God, God answered. Jesus answered in that moment. Jesus answered in that moment, yeah, he's not going to listen to the ridicule and all the, other, all the other things being said, but he'll turn his ear to the one who cries out in humility and says, remember me. I don't even deserve it. I'm not even going to presume that I'm worthy to be there. But if when you get there, you could just remember me, I'd appreciate it. I'm not even going to say I'm going to end up in paradise. I'm not even saying that, that I'm going to be there when you get there. I'm just saying when you get there, if you'll just remember me wherever I'm at, can you just remember me? If he's, if he's able to remember me, then he's able to save me. If he's able to remember me in my, in my place of, uh, of death, then surely he's able to save me whenever he gets into his kingdom. Yeah, to the other thief. Yeah, keep your mouth shut. Don't you realize who you're talking to? He had a revelation of the God of the universe, the one who would sit in judgment over him, the one who would reign King of kings and Lord of lords. And he said, would you remember me? In your kingdom, when you get there, will you remember me? 
Yeah, you and I, before we can be saved, have to recognize that we're helpless, that we're broken without Him. Repentance. It's the realization of our lost condition, and it's owning that we're broken. You know, there's a lot of talk about repentance and what repentance is and the grace of God, and, and you can live however you want because grace and repent, whatever. Repentance is realizing that you are broken and that you are helpless and you have no ability to do anything about it. That's what repentance is. God, I'm broken. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to fix my broken, my broken life. But I know that you do. You're the creator. You're the one who breathed life into me. You're the one that created me. But in my mama's belly, you, you told Jeremiah, before I was ever formed, you knew me. And you set me apart. And so God, if that's true, then I don't know how to fix my life. But you do. You created me. God, I don't know how to, maybe you're in a place today where, where you know the Lord and, and you are born again. But maybe you're in a place of brokenness where you say, God, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to fix my family. I don't know how to fix this relationship. I don't know how to fix my career. I don't know how to fix my whatever, fill in the gap. But God, you are the one who created me. You're the one who formed me. And you have a purpose and a plan for my life. So instead of resisting, it, instead of fighting against it, instead of trying to figure it out myself, I'm just going to stop and say, Lord, would you remember me? Would you remember me? Remember me in my, my situation. Remember me in my health crisis. Remember me in this family situation. Remember my marriage. Lord, can I just pray and intercede and bring it before you and you're able to fix it? Dependence on God. It starts, our, our life with Christ starts this way. It is sustained this way. It will continue for all eternity this way. When that man said, remember me, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, not in the future. I know you have some future hope that this is going to happen. But Jesus said, today you will be with me. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, we just had the time of mourning with, with Billy Graham and his, his home going. And, and I don't know if anybody watched the funeral. It was a powerful, powerful funeral. He probably preached to more people in his death than he did in his life. Absolutely amazing funeral. And, uh, you know, when, when Billy Graham stepped out of this life, he didn't step into some intermediate world waiting for something to happen. When he stepped out of this life, he stepped into the next. To be absent from the body. Today, Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. And I can assure you, there was great rejoicing in heaven. Not probably as much from the angels and everybody else that everybody else talks about. Oh, the people are there shaking his hand, on and on. No, I, I would imagine that it was the other way around. Billy was rejoicing when he stepped in because the very thing he had been preaching about, he was now beholding with his eyes. It wasn't just a by faith reality. It was reality. He was standing face to face with the one he preached about. You know, heaven... While we're on this topic, let's talk about heaven. I'm glad you asked. I'm just going to fast forward through some of my notes here because I want to talk about heaven. Is that okay? Can I talk about heaven? 
I, I have 14 pages of notes, and I've preached about three of them. I'm sorry. You know, heaven is not about, oh, the mansion. I've got a mansion just over the hill. Well, good for you. I'm glad you got a mansion. I'm glad you got real estate in heaven. That is so awesome for you. <laughs> That's not what heaven's about. Your real estate, your, your, your for sale sign in heaven, whatever you want to think that is, is not what makes heaven heaven. Jesus said in John 14, if I prepare a place for you, he did not say I'm going to come back and take you to your mansion. Did he? No. He said, I'm going to come and bring you to myself. He told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. The emphasis is not on the construction that's happening in heaven right now. The emphasis is on that I'm going to be with him. Heaven, what makes heaven heaven has nothing to do with what construction materials are happening and what's all going around in the buzz. It has everything to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with him. I'm, I'm going to be glad to step into heaven. I'll go today if he wants me to. It would be great. But, but the, the point of that is not by who's there as my, my loved ones and all the people that I've seen. And thank God for all those people. But I want to see Jesus. That's the reality of heaven. What makes heaven attractive to the believer is not that heaven is a place of great beauty or that there will be no suffering or sorrow or that we meet our loved ones and the Lord there. What makes heaven is that Christ is there. Heaven is heaven because it is perfect and pure fellowship with God. It is His presence, the atmosphere of His love. It is the city of His light. It is the kingdom of His justice. It is the chamber of His beauty. It is the throne of His righteousness. It is the decree of his holiness. That is what makes heaven heaven to me. And I want to go. It's the, the point is, is that you and I are called to fellowship. In that moment, I want you, man, if that, that man on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. They were hanging on that cross. And at some point, he breathes his last Jesus, we know, commits his spirit to God and gives up his life. This man's death looked a little different. He stops breathing, and immediately his spirit man leaves his body, and he's with the Lord in heaven. Can you imagine? He was a criminal. He was a thief. He had done nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. All he had known, all he had lived was brokenness, was hurt, was destruction, was fear, was guilt, was shame. He had died publicly. He had died uh, the death of a criminal. He was a curse hanging on a tree. Everybody had rejected him. Why would anybody want to remember him? Why would anybody remember this criminal? They were glad, good riddance. They'd washed their hands of him. 
And he thought that was it, thought that was over. And when he opened up his spiritual eyes and stepped into the next world, he had a face-to-face encounter with the one who had remembered him. He, everybody else had forgotten him. But Jesus said, I'll not forget you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you through eternity. If you have redemption in Christ, he'll never leave you. There's coming a day where, where this world, when what we've experienced and encountered, in this life, it's just a shadow. It's just a foretaste. It's just a glimpse. But there's coming a day where our fleshly limitations will be removed and our new bodies will step into heaven and we'll see him as he is. We'll see and experience the atmosphere of his love as it is, not not filtered through a carnal nature, not filtered through the, the, the perceptions of this life, but pure and holy love. The unadulterated love of God is the very atmosphere that you will you and I will breathe in in that heaven. It will be a city. Sounds of joy will be echoing. There will be praise and worship filling the atmosphere, filling the city. It will be a place of his supernatural light where there will be no shadows and nothing will quench that undying light of his love and his glory and his wisdom and his justice. His throne is a throne of righteousness and his holiness. We'll see it purely. We won't see it through eyes of carnality. No, we'll see his righteousness as pure as it really is. Seated on that throne, radiant light, radiant glory, filling, filling the atmosphere of heaven. Oh, I, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm almost there. I could keep going. I could, oh yeah, the angels, the angels will be singing this song, but it won't compare to the thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands of believers who are singing the song of redemption. Yeah, the angels will sing their songs of holy, 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 but you and I will be singing the songs of the redeemed, rejoicing in our salvation. You and I will be sitting as co-heirs, rulers with Him in heavenly places. Yeah, I could keep going about heaven if you want me to. Yeah, I, I think a lot about heaven. I can't wait. There's no death. There's no sorrow. We could talk all day about that. But 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 more than that, He's going to wipe my eyes. I don't know about you, but I, I want the finger of God to come and just wipe away every memory, every tear, everything of the past life, everything in this natural life. He's just going to come to you and wipe that away. One way, you don't need one of those men in black things that erase it. You're going to have the finger of God just come and wipe it clean. One touch, 30 seconds is all you need. And rejoice. Oh, let's not even talk about the food and the feast. I'm going to sit down and not gain a pound at the marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs> I'm going to feast on fruit that serves as healing for the nations. Why in heaven do we need healing for the nation? Because when you step in, all of the garbage of the past, he's going to just heal. It's going to be placed. Do you know? Oh, let's talk about this. 
The only man-made thing in heaven is his scars. Here you have Jesus, the king of all glory, at his resurrection. He could have had a perfectly restored body. He could have had a perfectly healed body that would have sent him. But no, no. The one thing that he maintained, the one thing that he said, Holy Spirit, you, you can't heal this. You, God, you can't, you can't take this away from my natural body when I ascend, is the scars that he had in his body from the crucifixion. So you and I, when we sit down at that marriage supper of the Lamb, we're, we're going to be able to look over. Jesus, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to stare, but the one thing, the one memory that I have of earth, the one memory that I have of earth and the life there, thousands times ten, thousands times ten, thousands of years from now, the one memory the one thing that you and I will remember, the one thing that you and I will see, the one thing that we'll have recognition of are the scars. Jesus, I, I remember what it took for me to have this relationship. Jesus, I remember that one thing. You've remembered me. And the one thing that I can remember in this life, in this heavenly world, the one, the one thing that I have clear picture of is why you have those scars. It was my sin. It was my sin that caused that. And you have cleansed me. You have clothed me with righteousness. And I have the wedding garments of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's why I'm here today. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, I, oh, you've remembered me in my depravity. Jesus, you've remembered me in my sin. You've remembered me in my filth. You've remembered me in my carnality. But Jesus, there's going to be a day where all I can remember, all I can remember is that you went to the cross for me. You redeemed me. You made me your own. You purchased me. With your blood, you purchased me. It is the only way to heaven. It is the only way to the Father. You are. That blood that was shed. Your life that was given. Like the thief on the cross, I say, Lord Jesus, remember me. As you sit in your kingdom, remember me. Pray for me, Jesus. Pray for me, Jesus. Reveal your love to me, Jesus. Jesus, while I wait for that day where you call my name, that appointed day on your calendar where I step into heaven, Lord, would you keep remembering me? Remember me in my frailty. Remember me in my brokenness. Remember me in this earthly life. Lord, remember all that you've promised concerning me. Lord, remember all that, you're, that you've spoken concerning me. Remember all of your promises. Remember all of your goodness. Lord, remember all that you've said. Lord, would you remember, Lord, like Moses and the Israelites, I put you into remembrance of all that you've said concerning me. Lord, thank you for such grace, such mercy. I don't deserve. Oh, I can't earn. But Lord, I can receive. I can receive. 
Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.